Well, as always, I like to use this time in the beginning to get some input about how to think about my life. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned this. As, as, uh, as close listeners will know, I technically don't live in Amsterdam anymore. I live in a very small enclave community called Dauvendrecht. Dovetail, I think, is, is how that translates. It's a, it's a nice place. It's, uh, it's different, but it's, you know, still fine. I like it. It's nice and calm. Now, we have similar, uh, I don't know what y'all have in Australia, but the trash system here is you don't really have um, the little carts like you would back in the States. And instead, built in at the end of most every street, they go way underneath, maybe like a full story's worth, like this gigantic metal tube thing. And on top, there's like this, uh, I don't know, it's just like a trash chute. I, I could describe it, yeah. but it's just, you know, a metal box that you open up and you put your trash in it. And it's communal? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the trucks. Oh, that's awesome. The trucks that, like, take it away, it, I, I should send a video of this, but, like, there's kind of, like, there's this thickish metal pole that comes out of the top of them with kind of rings around it. And the trucks come down, and they have this, like, arm that comes down and latches onto this truck, and it lifts the garbage can out of the ground. And I'm telling you, it's, like, as tall as a story in a house. Wow. Like, and, then it, and then it brings over to itself the truck, and I guess it, you know, pushes a button, and the bottom of the trash can opens and just dumps out there. And uh, it's, it's really, like, you know, the first, the first time that you see these things, and the, the 5th and the 20th, you're kind of like, this is amazing. Right. You know, this is what the Romans have done for us. You know, it, it, and, and so like now it's all cool. Yes. And it is communal. You know, you, obviously you pay taxes bundled in well, your. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, just like I, I've got a little tiny trash can for a family of five. So every right, right, every right, week is right. a struggle. Now, not only is it the trash, but they'll set you set up with, you know, you've got your your paper recycling yep. Yep. and you got your uh, you got your glass recycling. Now, in Amsterdam. There was only one hole for the glass recycling. Here, they separate it by by uh, white, and I don't know what the the other one translates as, but it's white and not white. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's which is fine. And then there are also there's another one that is called the PMD, which wasn't that the name of like that big like late '90s hip hop guy? Wasn't there a guy uh, yeah. named PMD? There was, there was PM Don, and there was EPMD. PM Don. There you yes. go. So I always think yeah. of PM Don. Yes. But the PMD is like plastic, metal, and duranium, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> it's, what, it's a vibranium source for all of Amsterdam. That's right. That's right. But however, here in, in Dalvendrecht, as in Amsterdam, they have consolidated the plastic mm-hmm. into the regular trash. They, they say they separate it, which is fine. So basically, you can throw away your PMD material, your, your metal and your plastic and your yeah. cartons, your tetra packs, uh, into uh, your regular trash to throw away. Now, one one grand mystery of the Netherlands is I don't know if they recycle. They must recycle metal, but like in Amsterdam, you just throw the metal into the trash. Maybe they magnet it out, but I don't think aluminum you is can't magnetic. Magnet, right? Yeah, you can't magnet it out. It all so, out. The, so there's something going on there. I, I just, just I they're using it to build more land. They're like, oh yeah, yeah we're recycling it. We're <laughs> recycling it is making us go farther out in the ocean. That is a good point. Kind of like <laughs> the kind of like the Isle of Dogs. They're kind yes. of like building out that kind of thing. So, exactly. anyways, so that's the context, right? Normally, you got your trash. You just go walk out there. You open up this big thing, put your trash in your your white and your not white glasses, whatever. Now, I think it might be. The beginning of January, it might even be the first. Here's what's going to happen here in, in Dalvendrecht, is they put these little card things on, on the, uh, the trash cans, except for paper recycling, mysteriously. And you have, you've got to like scan in with your card, like you're going to the office. And uh, it's very frustrating. You scan your card on the, the little thing. It beeps once. And if you're like me, you're like, oh, when a thing like this beeps, it means it's ready. And then you start just like doing the, the door thing and it doesn't work. And you're like, this must be broken. But, but what you'll learn, like I did after a while, is that you've got to wait for the second beep. I don't know why you have two beeps. I think that the, I'm no user interface expert, but it seems like touch the card, thing beeps, it means go. But no, wow. I think, I think it, maybe it's just, a, I think these cans are from Belgium. Uh, so maybe there's something in Belgium culture that's like, I want you to notify you that something is about to happen, and then I'm going to notify you when the thing happens. 
I don't know if that comes from that country there, but that <laughs> seems to be it operates there. So anyways, we got these cards. What's going to okay. happen next year is you're going to have to start paying 50 cents per open to oh. put your trash in there. Now, I have not verified this, hmm. but it would be an absurd state of the world if we paid the same amount of taxes. And taxes is a, is a cruel word. If we paid the same amount each month for our trash service, right? Usage fees, yes. So I'm assuming that the fees that we pay, I'm, I'm sorry, fee is even a, is, a, is a bad word. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, we have trash takeaway as a service. I'm assuming that our metered uh, OPEX uh, trash thing, like, is, is getting switched over to a pure as a service OPEX thing where we only pay when we open it and throw it away. And supposedly well, it's cheaper, but I want to, I want to ask you to, like, I obviously, you know, no one really gets to decide these things unless you're some sort of super active person in your, the municipality you, you, you live in, but which system would you prefer? The, the sort of like fixed rate, the CapEx expenditure every month, or would you prefer like the, I pay 50 cents per throwaway? Well, let me rephrase that. It's not 50 cents per throwaway. It's fifty cents per opening of the trash bin. <laughs> well, that that just sounds ripe for abuse. I mean, you're like, here's my fifty cents, and then like nine trash bags later, you're like, yes, yeah, 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 yep. yeah. I'm ready to abuse your system, Kote. I mean, I mean, there it's it it's so it has one of these round things, right? So it's not just that you open it and put it into a black hole. It's mm. if you imagine a almost a barrel sized container, right? So it's yeah. one of those things where like. Like when you open up the door, you're opening up the door and the bottom of the barrel is coming out. So it covers up the opening. Okay. You know, like, um, what's so, it, what? so I, I, I my, my, my nine trash bags. Not yeah. Happen. No, no. Unless you, unless you compress them down quite a bit. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm already living in that world and, you know, uh, waiting for the, the garbo to come down the street and waving him down and throwing extra bags into the trash truck as he drives mm-hmm. by. I think I think we are only about five, five was, minutes. Yet another word right there. That I've learned that's. Uh... I was going to say we're we're only five minutes into the episode and we've learned some new Australian uh, slang. Garbo. Garbo. I don't even know that. Okay. Is, did you make that up or is that an authentic no? That's Australian a real type? thing. That's, that's like the uh, the electric electrician Sparkies. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the fireman. Fire. Fire. Sparkies. Fireies. This is getting longer and longer. Uh, um, tradies. Uh, you know, are, are you sure this isn't some slang for like, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of casual sex club or something? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just weird when you see it in print in stores and stuff. It's just like, that's why this country works, right? You know, you see it quoted from politicians are like, you know, yeah, well, if the Garbos won't come to the union table. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> That's amazing. All right, but, okay, Kote, back to your original question. I guess yes. the original, well, this goes back on track here. Um, I would assume the reason, I guess I would come back to like the first principle, why are they doing this? I assume that they want to do like a, a consumption-based tax because they want to reduce the amount yeah. of usage, right? So that seems right, to right, be, right. and I guess it, to your original question, I mean, I think always uh, in the case of like, you know, the, let's call it the uh, all you can trash or all you can garbo uh pricing i mean we always want that but the issue on the trash man brandon get your adjectives and verbs straight here yeah okay sorry about that but the way that um but i guess it sort of comes down to like you know which side of like as a person just living with it yes i would rather pay one fee that's embedded and have unlimited use of it but if there is some higher order thing and you know introducing friction means that you will be more conscientious about like what you throw out or you know you well, use I, less and there's a, a consumption based tax that's mm. trying to have you uh use less makes sense i don't know the situation there so i don't know if that's like an you issue know, but, i i didn't I mean, even that would be think how you'd have to decide i didn't think even think of it as a way of uh driving behavior because no, you know, it's, that's what it's there for right because they, because my they don't my charge opinion. you for recycling do they uh i don't well that is actually a good question because no, 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 because so the glass is open. So, so the PMD one has the little scanny things on it. Oh. But, the, but then, like I said, they said you can put that into the trash, right? So, so okay, so that is complicated, right? Because yeah. so, so they are charging to recycle the plastic. And in fact, if they're encouraging you to mix your plastic 
And with your trash, it's creating more of a volume, right? So think about it. If you have an empty plastic milk jug, you know, you should squish it down, but that's going to take up more volume in your trash. And therefore, it raises, I don't know how to describe this, right? But like, it makes it more expensive to throw away your current volume of trash because you've got they, to mix those they, things They together. need to bring back the milk sacks like they have in Canada. Now, I did notice, I don't know if these are going to be free. Uh, they did send out a huge broadsheet broadsheet brochure, and I only translated the part that had the money in it. It was, it was, <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. It was like it's very wonderfully done, like like brochure that was probably six pages. Uh, it was like all those free little uh, like newspapers and zines we used to have in Austin in the nineties, kind of like that size. Um, and um, but there was a, only a small paragraph about how much it actually cost. And all the rest of it was some other jibber jabber. Like who knows? But like about you being know. green and yeah. But there is actually, I think they have introduced the uh, composting trash cans. Ooh. I've seen those around, right. and I don't think those. I don't think you have to pay to use those. Uh, well, see, so, and, there you go. And, and so there's sense, all sorts right? of unintended side effects here when you start charging for something that felt free before. You know, mm. obviously you were paying for it. Now you're going to be like, well, I'm going to reduce the amount of trash. That sounds great. But what's going to happen is you're going to be like, well, hmm, this pizza box, it doesn't have a lot of grease on it. It can go in cardboard, right? Yeah. And you're like, but it says no pizza box. It's like, not that much grease. It's okay. And then you're like, you know, this aluminum foil's got some food on it, but aluminum is mostly metal. That goes with the metal, you know, recycling. And so you start to like get laxer on, on, on your recycling rules. And then, you know, you start, you know, carrying around bags of trash and throwing them away at convenience stores because you don't have room in your trash can. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, now the so the the real. I mean, maybe just I I have two comments on this this situation. Well, three. One is just like it's fine. I have it's no. Fine. You know, I'm 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 an American living here in the uh, the sleepy like uh, village. I I like what they're Don't doing. Tell. It's great. It's just like thanks for having me, having a good time here, but. <laughs> Uh, one, I think I, I do not know how my family could reduce the amount of garbage that we create. I've tried. Like, I, you know, and it sounds great to me because I'm tired of having bags of trash waiting for the trash can to empty to put the bags back in yeah, the trash can. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's not like the manual screen time thing where you can just take the iPads <laughs> from the kids, right? It's just like garbage is produced. So there, there's that, and which is A-okay. The second thing is my major concern is, you know, we have a dog, and it used to be there were a lot of trash cans everywhere, and when the dog poops, we happily, I wouldn't say happily, but we pick up their poop in a bag, and you want to throw the bag away. Now, I don't know, am am I going to have to pay 50 cents, like, to find a convenient place to throw it away? Now, there are, there are plenty of trash cans that are like those tiny little, like, you know, trash cans that are, you know, for throwing away your soda or whatever, you know, little park trash cans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are not as well. They are not as uh, prevalent as uh, as all the other trash cans. So, I, I mean, I I think what we so what we've ended up doing is is if on our walk route we uh, there isn't a convenient trash can, we actually just leave the little bag on our doorstep to take out at some point. Which just seems like that doesn't seem like living, right? That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> and now the other there also every every bus stop has a trash can you can use. So I can also do that. Yeah, to made the shade. You just need to plan your dog walking route based off where you're going to throw away. But here, here is here. Is, so as, as always with these kind of things, it is. Um, so if if there's if there's a a NIMBY, what is the one where it's sort of like I, I overheard Kim using this phrase where you know your parent always says like, well, well, it's not you that I'm worried about. It's the other people I'm worried about, like when it comes to like driving safety. Like, and so we, of course, are virtuous with our dog poop. But my concern is the other people who already seem to just let their dogs poop and not pick up the poop everywhere. And now they're going to have this like political chip on their shoulder that like, oh, well, if I if I can't if I can't this is how people like that sound. If I can't just throw away my dog poop easily, why am I even picking it up? I'm just going to leave it here. Because I feel like I feel like if you pick up your dog's poop and throw it away is like a pivotal sort of like gauge of societal interaction. You're always just like one bad evening away from becoming a complete anarchist with your dog poop.
Today's show is sponsored by Postlight. Postlight is a strategy design and engineering firm, and they want you to subscribe to their podcast. The show is hosted by Postlight co-founders Rich Ziade and Paul Ford, and you may remember Paul from his famous Bloomberg article, What is Code? The Postlight podcast is a weekly no BS conversation about what's happening in tech, business, ethics, and culture. A few of the recent guests include Clay Shirky, product discovery coach, Teresa Torres, and a software-defined talk favorite, chief cloud economist, Corey Quinn. The show touches on topics like power of naming your initiatives, agency product management, programming in Python, and creating more efficient meetings. Plus, there's plenty of other discussion on everything from parenting to living in New York City. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcast. For more information to see all the episodes, visit postlight.com slash podcast. So I'd like to ask all of you to search Postlight in your podcast player right now and give it a listen. And of course, we thank Postlight for sponsoring our show. I read the most recent uh, developer relations PDF. Now, I don't know the, uh, uh, how would you say it, provenance. I'm not familiar with the organization that does it, but they, they seem fine. I'm going to assume. And uh, there are several slides that I enjoyed. You know, as always, the, uh, the what people get paid slide is always nice. <laughs> I like that. And uh, that, that was fun to look at and see what's going on. But I think, I think there's one slide that I got to, uh, Matt Ray. And I know that you are the head of developer relations. Did I get that title right? Uh, director, yeah. Director. Sorry. Sorry. I, well... Is there a senior vice president of director relations? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, you know, usually you don't put, you know, I'm the head. On, on, oh, that's on, true. You on, know, I've, I've seen that quite a lot recently that people, their title is head of something instead of. Okay. Uh, well, you know, dog that's fine. heads. Yeah. That's fine. Director, director. Uh, do you have any reports? <laughs> We're a 12 person company. <laughs> you know, I, I want to prepare you for this, Matt Ray. <laughs> When and if you get required, I think you're not going to be a director anymore. That's what happened to me. They were Wait, like, what? Yeah, because yeah, unless you have reports, you can't be a director. So just, that happened uh, to me. That happened to me with the chef acquisition. I went from uh, 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 regional manager to senior principal, something or other. Engineer. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you get a chance to talk to your investment bankers, you might want to have them write that in to the uh, <laughs> the terms there. Let's see what I can do. Anyways, so there was one question. That was uh, where do you report to, and I have I have the bar chart here up on on my screen, one of my many screens. Uh, I had the Bloomberg terminal in for repairs, and we'll make so. the bar chart the show art. So just look and, at your podcast player right now, and and it, it says I'm going to start from the bottom. It says we report to sales three point one percent. I'll round these numbers three okay. percent. We report to CTO eleven percent. We report to CEO twelve percent. Are y'all getting excited as we go up the, the stairs here? It's getting exciting. We report to engineering, 16%. We report to product, 17%. We report to marketing, 26%. So it looks like if we group together, let me see, what is a, we got a 26 plus say 17, that sounds like a lot. Nice. Basically, if you are like, there's a, there's a, the best chance, the highest chances are going to be reporting to marketing. Then it might, then it's sort of like, I, I think the difference between product and engineering probably only applies in larger companies. Yeah. I, I assume in your 16 person company, you don't have a distinction between product and Same engineering. Same guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also co-founder and, and, and head of stuff. Yeah. And, and I think, I think even at Pivotal, we didn't really have a distinction between product and engineering. It was just all, all the same. We do it VMware, but I, I mean, it seems like those are the two areas, uh, that I, I don't understand this. We report to the CEO. I think that's maybe there's a bunch of startups that uh, I, I report to the CEO. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, th I think I think maybe we can kind of eliminate that one. We throw that one out for startups, small, small hey. companies. Which which actually that's not fair because a lot of developer relations is done at uh, at smaller companies, right? So maybe that does make sense uh, for it. But what struck me here is I think there is there's always this ongoing like. Uh, tension or sort of like what, what what's the word what's the positive version of the word where you're, you're kind of like the negative version would be like you just always have a lot of self-doubt and existential crisis about like your point in life and like you know if, if you're like fitting in there well there's a there's a better version for that but like or identity crisis or, or something but there's always this uncomfortable introspection yeah, yeah yeah there's always this unresolved sort of feeling, I think, with developer relations people about their relationship to marketing. 
and their relationship to just like being a tool to helping their company make money. And I do think, Cote, <laughs> I think you see this, and I think this is why it's sort of fascinating survey. If you go to the next graph, which will make the, the show art, it highlights what you're saying perfectly. It's the value of developer programs. And so they basically come down and you kind of see this play out in this survey. So if, in the, of the respondents, 16.9% the primary value is to educate and support developers. And then the next one down at just 16.2%, so very close, to drive awareness. And that, mm. that to me is the subtlety of to drive awareness is a marketing function, right? So it makes sense that then when we see the hierarchy, if the goal is to drive awareness, then it would make sense for that to then go into um, marketing. If it's to, and then the subtlety here is to educate and support developers. And the third one is to drive engagement, also a marketing thing. And I think this is the tension, right? Some people see developer relations as like, I just educate and support. They really completely divorce themselves from that is something like I'm, I'm creating something in the funnel. Whereas other people see it as like, absolutely. We are creating awareness, which is in the funnel. And I think that mm. plays out in the organizational hierarchy. And I think that is the internal tension that is constantly like within developer relations. It's like, what, what are we doing versus what we think we're, we're doing? And I think some people would say driving awareness is completely not what we want to do in developer relations. Other people, I think, see it as the exclusive function. So I don't know, Matt, it's really your, I feel like we're on your block here. So you can, you can <laughs> chime in as well, to um, what you think. There be. are, there are different, I mean, there, there's, there's kind of this like split in the report about how developer relations works and some organizations it's to drive awareness and some it's to drive uh, adoption and they're not exactly the same. You know, when, when you have a, um, when you have a new product, uh, you know, user acquisition means two things. You know, it, if you're sales, it's like, I need people paying me money. And if it's marketing, you're like, I need people at the entrance to the funnel, mm. right? And, and whether or not they make it all the way through, that's not marketing's problem. <laughs> I mean, eventually it is, but it's like, you know, hey, I got you the leads. What you do with those leads is, is, is different. And so you know, the, the goal here is, do I need to get as many people aware of our product as possible? Or do I need to get as many people paying for our product as possible? Yes. And those are very different marketing campaigns. But also, I think within that, though, is a group of people that kind of, that, and I think this is where the first one comes from, to educate and support, which it's more like an academic, like, professor kind of mentality. It's like, listen, I don't care which goal that you have. What I do is I just educate people on how to use this and how to, how to, how to be great at using our product, our tool, and things like that. And they completely, like, there's a wall. They, and, they, and I think it's okay when someone volunteers, like, I don't want to deal with any of this. I just educate people. Well, and, and that's and, like a different... Yeah. And in, in some cases, like someone is so talented or like has so much knowledge that people allow that. They just say like, you're so good at that. I just want you out there giving this training class and they never think about it. But I think the people that are thinking more about like, as a, like, how do I integrate in the business? You are kind of making some type of choice. Like, am I trying to drive awareness or am I more a training function? And it's like, there's a subtlety there, but it's a yeah. real different way that you talk about your business value to CEOs. Like a CEO is going to be a lot less excited to talk about how is the training programs coming along versus how is the but, awareness programs coming along? But when, when you have this, you know, sales closing and marketing, you know, bringing the leads in there, there's this place in the middle. It's like, how do you help people make that transition? And that's, that's where, to me, that's where like developer relations is living. It's like, Hey, we got some people into our community. We got them using our product. I need them to succeed. And you know, the, the idea is when they succeed, they're going to keep progressing down the funnel and become an mm. active contributor or paying customer, you know, the charming pirates uh, that we talked about <laughs> recently. Um, you know, are they going to become an, uh, you know, a, an open source contributor for those of us living in open source land, or are they going to become a paying customer for, for those folks doing DevRel for, you know, commercial companies. And, but that's, that's the thing is like, I need more people coming in from the funnel to use the product so I can find out how they're using it educate them make sure they have a good time and then you know they get kind of a warmer handoff to sales who does a better job right and posing. i would say that and, is marketing that to, that to me right what you just described then that is sort of the textbook it, definition but, of but, marketing. But, but it's also 
product, right? Because I'm going to be the one who, you know, I, the, the, the developer relations person is going to be the one who sees customer or users trying the product, running into issues. You know, is the issue the product doesn't work the way they expect it to? Is the issue the documentation sucks or it's full of bugs? You know, those right. are things that you're going to go back to product. You're not going to go to marketing and say, like, yeah, hey, no, guys, but I just think this is know. the function. I mean, call it whatever you yeah. want product marketing, developer. I mean, just that middle, that area of like, hey, we're like someone has, we know who they are now. They've engaged us in some way. And now I want to like give them content that's relevant to the problems they're trying to solve. Make sure they're successful. Make sure that they uh, anything that in the pre-sale side before they've made some decision, any type of a objection that they raise that we can either address or we can take to your point, create the feedback loop so that our organization knows about it, can you know, potentially implement new features and things like that. And yeah. it's just like, like to me, that's like the fundamental, at least in the, what is one versions of developer relations. But back to your original thing, Kote, I think that's where you see this tension where. I definitely think there are people that do it that say, no, I don't like, I'm divorced from that. I'm like, I'm agnostic. I'm not in sales. I, I just tell people how to use it and how to make that great. But I stop there. I don't think a word about awareness or that, funnel. Yeah, engagement. I mean, that, and in that, fact, that, that, when you raise that, I get, I get upset if you raise that to me because you sort of taking away from the job that I want to be doing. That only works if, if you can only have that ivy to- ivory tower approach. If you are in an organization that is so large that you can divorce those concerns. And there is, I, I'm working with, uh, you know, I'm not naming names, but I, I'm working with an organization that has an 85 member developer relations team. Mm. And that's, that's large. <laughs> <laughs> that's large. Right. And, you know, that's, <clears throat> those people don't have any real, I mean, maybe they do. But it doesn't feel to me that like they have a lot of skin in the game, but to, with what is sales message, right? And and so like, you know, obviously being at a small startup, I'm jumping back and forth between, hey, you know, hey, we've got a sales call with these folks on this time. Let's make sure where the presentation does this and make sure that, you know, our sales engineer has this messaging and, hey, let's make sure that product is ready to do that. And, like, I mean, these people are pretty far divorced from anything what i would even say when you have that organization that's the when organization gets that big that starts to edge up onto like what i call like training certification you know a whole group that like a company that are that large is sort of like it gets so big that like they're trying to run certification programs and put out content that can be vastly used by everyone and come up with the the test to do the certifications and at that point yeah it is an awareness at that point anymore it's it is sort of its own function and they just and that exists because there's such a big need right like they have so much coming in that um they they actually need just like someone just thinking about training so i think you know i, I don't i just but i do think to your thing about cote is like i i definitely think the ivory tower view and i think maybe that's even pejorative i just feel like there are, I've talked to a lot of people sometimes in developer relations where people kind of say, no, no, no. They, they, they just really feel like it becomes tainted. If you start like asking about awareness, they really feel like, and I think it's just like the typical thing, like nobody, most people hear marketing, they think advertising. Most people think advertising, they think of a, an ad that disturbed them or annoyed them or things like that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's the first thing you have to untangle in someone's thinking, uh, right? Before right, you can right. have a, a conversation. If you don't think you're in sales, you're just wrong. Like, like that's your function in the company is sales. Now, <laughs> and you're like, you know. some like tough Gen X love right here. Like I just heard a whole bunch of millennials just, just pause this podcast before we got the two ads. I'm a little disappointed, but, uh, but don't worry. Hey, don't you can go back. It's all right. Well, we'll go back talk about dog poop. But, but the point yeah. is like, you are in sales. If you're in engineering, you are in sales. If you're in marketing, obviously if you're in sales, you know, um, but developer relations, you know, you're not just making this product to make sunshine and rainbows. You're doing it to like, you have a purpose for the company you work for. You know, there are definitely, there are definitely like, you know, foundations and they have developer relations positions that, you know, are less tied, you know, they're not sales, you know, but they are Mm. more pure awareness. But for most of us, we work at commercial companies that need to sell software to pay our salaries and, you know, those of our coworkers. And the whole point is like, we're all in sales, you know? Yeah. And so you can't divorce yourself from that. Now, now I have, I have going back, I have a follow-up question to ask you, Brandon, because I, I didn't know this, this chart that charts a bar graph of purpose versus a pink line of value. I didn't understand 
what that was saying. Is purpose like stated mission statement and value is what they actually find valuable? I, I couldn't figure out what the what that was doing. And I only ask because there's a few things on this chart that are out of whack of each other. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, you have to I, I would agree with you and you know, everyone, like I said, I'll put uh, you can look at the cover art and make your own decision. I think some of these things are just kind of saying the same thing twice, just sort of like it's almost like feature benefit. Like sometimes they're like stating something. But I, I the thing that I kind of just took away from it and I think and this is why I liked it, it was just this like the duality of like the reporting structure versus what people you know think think the value is versus sort of like what the perceived value of it is and so so, so value is perceived value and purpose i mean to me right i think it is because there's no okay, way to okay. like there's no definitive way to say the value i at least in a survey like this there's no way they can say like the value is 26 percent, right i just think it's it's what people think the value of it is and i like to right. me i really do i like just putting my table my cards on the table is just sort of like yes i think if you're running developer relations of any kind, I would be measuring or thinking about like, we want to create awareness amongst a development community of this product, right? And I think the place that maybe developer relations can start to push back is like, hey, just because you want to create awareness doesn't mean the only things that we should do are like webinars that they register and white papers and all these traditional things like that. The, the right, place right, is like, right, hey, right. we need to be looking at different tactics. And now that's a whole nother question. And I think that's a place where executives tend to really, you know, micromanage and not understand. It's like, no, this isn't, people aren't going to read a 25 page white paper just because we wrote it, or they're not going to look at one specific report. Like we got to be thinking about other ways to do it. Now, I think the tactics developer relations brings, I think there's a lot of executive education, but I think that's where it belongs. But I do know, you know, to your thing, I guess we'll just use ivory tower as the shorthand. It's like, I know there are, I've met a bunch right? and people were just like, you know, they don't want to talk about this. They don't want to think about it. But I think, I just think the people that are going to do the best in deliberations are the people that are thinking about awareness. Like, what are the things I'm doing and how am I creating awareness? I think that's going to make you very valuable to the company. If you divorce yeah, yourself yeah. from that completely and just say, I, I train people and I'm great. It's like, you better be great. You better be like the best ever at doing that one thing because, yeah. because other people are going to worry about that for you. If you're not, then, you know, you're just, you know, you're sort of going to often be, not replaced, but your, your value is going to be perceived lower than someone that's thinking about awareness. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, it, and, and, and it seems like, you know, Matt Ray kind of like trapes through all the, uh, uh, implied mechanisms, right? Like, I mean, basically if, if you're, if you're a DevRel person for a SaaS company, you just need to get an encoded URL and there's your metric. It's, I mean, like I'm being a little crass, but it's just like, I don't know, man, signing up people, for, for the SaaS thing, just like with our ads, like that's, that's the easiest, simplest, probably most, uh, uh, accurate thing to track as far as awareness. Right. Which that also <clears throat> sounds pretty terrible. So I can see why people wouldn't like that. No one likes to be tracked by a number that, that means you actually have to do something. <laughs> and then, and then I guess if you're, you know, you have an open source project, like that's where things get a little like getting attribution as far as like how efforts like caused something to happen maybe that's a little easier but it, it's at least trackable but then just like general awareness is uh very hard to track like i often but I wonder do think, you know i would you know maybe make it a little bit easier if, if i if someone worked for me as developer relations i would be a little bit more relaxed about like hey you know yes put the url out there and let's let's measure that because that's always going to be the best measurement but if that person just came back with here's all the things that i've done and here are just the raw sure, numbers, sure. right? If you just say, I went to these conferences, uh, I gave a talk about this many people were there, this many people at the conference, I did a, a podcast interview, I did some streaming, and I did, because I, I think this is where, you know, you know, I think it's right to push back on executives. It's like, hey, awareness is not like a one-time thing. It isn't, you know, to the thing, uh, to your coin operated. It's not like you put it in and the door opens. It's like, people have to hear about it over and over and over again to really start to get comfortable with it. So if, if you, if you came back to me with like, here's all the touch points I had, I wouldn't look at you and say, well, I yeah, expect everyone yeah. at the conference heard you speak, but like you were there, they saw you, maybe they saw your t-shirt, maybe they saw the the banner, maybe they saw this. It's like, okay, we, I know we just do enough of that and we keep pl plugging away. Well, that's going to raise awareness. And that may not lead to the conversion I want. And that may be other issues, but like, right, right, I right, know right. that's what I have to do. And I, I would say to someone that did that, I'd be like, you're doing a good job. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, the other chart I should go look. I think there's there's some question here around like what do you actually do around here as far as like the <laughs> the work product, which would be good. But you know, uh, I'll, it it would be interesting to see like like uh, one. You know, the use case that's always in my head as 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 the last thing on this is, and this just came up earlier today. I was I'm often asked around here to help. Uh, you know, which DevOps Day cities we should sponsor, and especially several years ago, I was like, did a lot of that selection. And I always wonder, like, man, I wonder how other companies are putting together, like the, the ROI and the decisioning about like the uh, sponsoring it, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, super cheap, right? So it's like, it's almost doesn't matter, like how cheap it is to sponsor a DevOps days. But, you know, I've been to many, many of them. And like, there's not really uh, any lead ginning chance that's easy unless someone goes up to the booth and like you know auto lead gins themselves which is fine but but that conference in particular is very you know as i always joke unless you're chef puppet or any open source project that the community likes you can't talk about commercial interest but it's totally cool if you're one of those other projects out there to be very commercial about things but it's hard to like, you know, give a talk about a uh, actual product or something unless they like you. Uh, and so like it does make it a strange proposition to figure out like the value of it. And I'm not saying that it doesn't have value, but that, you know, looking at the edges of, of the of, of any situation is a good way to kind of figure out like what a DevRel person does there that has evident value that uh that kind of proves that they've done something well and kind of makes them feel good. Right. So if you could, and they obviously do work there. So if you could kind of crack like how that works out and what they're doing there, it would give you good input on like how you can kind of track the value and the activities that a DevRel people would be. Cause that's one of the weirdest environments to have some sort of uh, top of funnel awareness showing, showing value for things. Yeah. It, it's, it is a constant struggle like to, show your value. Um, you know, but uh, I mean, marketing works the same way, right? They've got, you know, their marketing qualified leads and, and, you know, they, they can show returns on, you know, click throughs on ad placement and that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's, it's, <clears throat> I mean, you, you, it's, it's still very nebulous how to pin down conversion numbers to that right because i mean mm-hmm. sales is like you know well this person showed up in salesforce and you know they're 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent you can start building you know your your charts about you know how the leads are are, being, are progressing and you know sales and marketing can go back back and forwards fighting about you know how things progress into the funnel but when you're developer relations you're like no 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 i got this guy who's just uh contributing code you know and answering questions in slack and you're like What's the value of that, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I would my... say I shorthand that whole thing, though, and I think this is one of the most misunderstood thing about all of like technology selling and all of it. And I think, you know, starting with executives, it's like if you're building anything for a specific group of a technology community, before you can win at anything, you must be a active, legitimate participant in that community, right? And how do you yeah. do that? Mm. Is like you go participate in the things that community does. So if it's DevOps yeah. days, it's being at DevOps days, you know, helping run the DevOps day, helping get it off the ground, maybe doing a lightning talk. But it's like, if you do that enough, right, people will start to see that they'll ask who you are and they'll start to know who you are and what you do. And that starts to open the doors. When you start to like only make it transactional, that is fine, but you just know that you're not going to have a strong quote developer community or developer relations because you haven't put in the work to be the active participant and you can all be like, and you can go one step further, like in product management, oftentimes people are, you know, doing business cases and doing Excel and like, you know, trying to plan the business. But if those people running the product aren't active participants in the community, it, you know, it generally, generally doesn't go well for that product. And I think that's like, that's the yeah, thing. And I, I think, think that's, that's a good point. You know, participation, active participation in the community you're selling to is a mandatory to be successful and it won't be easy to measure, but you still need to do it. Yeah, you know, and I think on that, I think on that, that's a good point because I think I I combined together open source community with like community of a certain type, a sector of of the industry, right? So like it's it's a whole other thing to be involved in the open source community and committing code and stuff. 
that's cool too. But also just the community of like, I don't know, log management, <laughs> right? Or, or like, or like the yeah. community of like front end development and, and just kind of like, you can, you can definitely like kind of smell out pretty quickly at, at a conference, just to use as an example, or in content that's provided online or whatever, like who's part of a community and who's just kind of like showed up at, out, yeah. out of the blue. And, and you see that at events like reInvent where, you know, or, or, you know, KubeCon, um, where, you know, there are, there are vendors and there are community vendors and especially in the Kubernetes ecosystem, it feels like there's, there's this ethos of you have to be contributing to have, you know, any sort of voice. And, and, you know, so which, which what, what, what that means is when you drop into smaller projects, you will see like very active vendors, um, you know, trying to make themselves, so, I mean, you know, obviously I'm projecting with trigger mesh here, but you know, you have vendors who are like, you know, this is our thing and we're contributing and trying to make ourselves known. And then your name gets bandied around with bigger players and, and that works. But then if you see like, you know, Hey, there's this company that you've never heard of that has a commercial product that's closed source and they just happen to run on this thing. It's like, you don't, it's gotta be harder for their developer relations people to like show up in a Kubernetes channel and be like, Hey guys, you should use our product. And like, I've never heard of you. Right. right. You're, you're, and, I think, and so take, I think go back to log management. I think that's a great example. Like, I mean, I've seen this, like, right. There are people that are so embedded in that community. They can just give up, get up and give a talk on, here's how I kind of wrote a bunch of regular expressions to find things from log files that were extremely useful. And this is how I approach it. And when, and this is how I discover um, new things that I want to learn from log files that honestly, hundred percent agnostic. They can go on an hour, never talk about a product, just talk about here's how I do it. And here's some of the tools I use. And maybe just talk about some open source or, you know, frankly, Unix command line stuff they do. And, and people will walk away. They're like, wow, that's blown away. And then later on you, you feel, find out that they work at, you know, one of the long management vendors, but you just like, you know, they gave you so much knowledge, right? You're yeah. just sort of drawn to them. And then there's the people that get up and they're like, you know, they haven't been in the community very long. They're just like, well, uh, we have this use, uh, we have this demo and you click here and, Here's the builder. I've never really used this before, but it's available. You know, I mean, it's kind of like they just click through a demo and you're like, you don't really get anything out of it. And I think that's just the same example. Like it's apparent when you're there. And then that first one that I gave, like, you know, right away, that person knows what they're talking about. And everyone walks away kind of like, I need to know who that person is. Maybe ask a follow-up question. And I'm going to think highly of their product because that expertise they just gave me really tells me they know the problem. And, 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 and you're willing that plays to out everywhere. Yeah, and you're willing to give them like the benefit of a doubt when they change companies, right? And they're like, they're oh, right, absolutely. You know, they, yeah. they hopped over to this other company. I'm going to listen to them because I trust their reputation. And there's there's a saying in the, the Kubernetes ecosystem, it's not new to them, but uh, you have to you know chop wood and carry water. And, you know, a new little Kubernetes startup pops up and everybody is like starts, you know, retweeting them and, and, and you know, talking about how, you know, they're going to change the world. And it's like, because we know those folks and we've seen their work over the years and, you know, that's, that's kind of the open source ethos. And, you know, you, you pull for those folks, I guess, uh, you know, cause you hope that, uh, you pull for them cause they're going to pull for you later on. Um, maybe. Now the, the, <laughs> the, the actual last thing I, I was reminded of this as we were talking is, is, uh, there's another question that what is the, uh, the top 10 effective channels and these are all online and the number one coming in at 52.3% is is twitter and i read that and i was like oh that sucks because i don't i don't i don't like you know over the past couple of years i've decided to like try to ignore being engaged in twitter and i i i realized it has like had some odd effects on my uh, professional life like i pop in there every now and then and there's all these people and i'm like wow they're really doing something here and they work in my space and they're talking with each other and I don't know any of these people or what they're doing. Like, <laughs> well, okay, just to make you feel better, it did say while well, Twitter was there, it, it gave you a macro of social media. It said, surprisingly, social media took a steep fall of 124%, uh, often a favorite of DevRel. So, so while Twitter is still the number one social channel, social in general took a, a pretty big fall. So I don't know if that's, that's good or good. bad, but that's maybe good. it means you could spend less time on social media. I, ju I just feel, I just feel like, I, I mean, every time I, I spend too much time on Twitter, like reading and I've tried to make my feed only like, you know, tech people, only stuff I need for my work with just a few exceptions. 
like I go read through it and like I either like people are complaining about stuff or I'm like, oh, these people seem to be doing a better job. It's basically just like uh, an upset machine if, <laughs> if I go there. And so like it just seems like a, a terrible place to go for me if that's where I need to go for my professional developer relations work. And uh, I, I don't really know what the alternative is, but it, it uh, that's that's not exciting. I mean, it seems sort of like it is kind of like, <clears throat> at least in our infrastructure area, I mean, I, I, have, I have to imagine other people who are very sensitive to, like, you know, assholes and jerks and cost, causticity. What's the word for that? And, and uh, the, the Caustic, yeah. Character of causticness. That, you know, like, that's sort of like a big deal in our infrastructure world. And, and yet, like, Twitter is such a big force, which is basically just like, you know, just a big, like, uh, dog poop fire hose, more or less. But yeah. maybe maybe that would be a good DevOps Days lightning talk is uh, how to use Twitter in a positive okay. way and and like are there are there some uh, some said command line things that your your DevRel person from the mythical talk could apply to that Brandon yeah. to kind of help weed things out and, <laughs> and mute them out. I'm ready to give a lightning talk. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Do you have a worn-out Post-it note with all your passwords on it? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. You can automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. And you can eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by the fine folks at Betterment, Peloton, SoFi, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. Don't take my word on it. Check out StrongDM for yourself with a free demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, speaking of surveys, there's a, you know, I don't actually know uh, the O'Reilly adoption of cloud survey or whatever, but they've got a cloud survey out that uh, Rita Minacci, who's been on the podcast, sent to me. And uh, this is the 2021 one. And I actually, I, I read through this because she sent it to me, but it's actually like, it has uh, many things different <laughs> than I would expect in these kind of cloud surveys, right? Like a lot of cloud surveys you get, uh, speaking of developer relations, are done by a vendor, kind of looking at their own data and um, uh, maybe doing some, I don't know what they call it in the poll business, original polling. Uh, where, where they commission something new, but you know it tends to be based like the the one that we love every year, the Datadog poll, right? It's over Datadog stuff, and I think some additional stuff. Anyways, it kind of makes it sort of like a technology uh, driven thing. But this one like had some some different stuff in it, and there's two things I wanted to talk about. And the second one I'm I'm interested for y'all's uh, input on. And and you know I'm not saying don't say anything about the first, but like. One of the things that I found interesting about this is uh, they asked the respondents, um, like, which which clouds you are using. And what yeah. they meant by cloud, and they, like, not confusingly, but responsibly, they included traditional on-premise data center. In other words, not cloud uh, in, in the answer base, which is very nice and useful to always have that. But what they meant is not only the public cloud providers and all the uh, the ones over there in the um, the uh, the lower the lower left side of the magic quadrant they had they got all those ones in there too, but also like whether it's private or hybrid or or, or whatever. But my read of it is that basically everyone uses everything. Seems to be like if if you look at the dots, it's just like at this point. And and they also they divide this up by industry and respondent, right? So you, there's some interesting variation per industry about which type of cloud they use or not use. Like mm -hmm. I think the the most notable one, which I don't know enough to speculate on, is that in government, and I think it's a global survey, so I don't know if this is most weighted for U.S. government or like global. But in government, Azure does really well. I don't think they beat out AWS, 
Well, yeah. maybe they do actually, but like they do a little bit. They're they're kind of the number one in government, and and I don't know. One could speculate why that is, but whatever. Um, I don't know if it has to do with that Jedi thing. I've lost track of what's going on with that. Uh, but anyways, it looks like if you look at like by industry and by individual response, right? Like the people just use everything, which sort of like leads me to the conclusion of like, yeah, you know, it's computers. They'll just deploy their stuff, you know, where, wherever things are going. Now, there is a decline in certain things and plans to do other stuff. And then the second one that that was a really, like, interesting question to ask. This is what I used to obsess over back when I did cloud strategy uh, at Dell, is they asked people's intention over the next year, how what percentage of your apps are you going to move to cloud? And I kind of, they don't quite say this, but I kind of assume they mean public cloud there, but whatever. I mean, because that's probably the majority of it. And so when I was reading this, this is where things got a little, like, talk about like a developer relations person in a roundabout way trying to hustle stuff that their company does but this is where things seemed a little like the survey respondents maybe don't know what they're talking about or or (laughs) or they work exactly what you're talking about or they work at really small companies right and so like and so essentially like about 48 percent of them said they're going to migrate 50 percent of their applications in the next year yeah. to cloud and then <laughs> and then 20 percent said they're going to migrate all of their applications if, if i got those numbers right and like in the next year and and so i i, I think so i i wrote this up to put on our blog we'll see when that gets up but like my my take on this was like i mean i guess if you have like 10 applications sure you can migrate all of them to public cloud but like the fastest that I've seen like people responsibly modernize an application is like six weeks for a pretty small application. Right. And so like, let's say you're an organization with like a hundred applications. It's not that you do that necessarily in serial, right? Like you could have different teams working in parallel, but like, oof, migrating a hundred applications in 12 months. Right. 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 Because you have to like, I mean, you got to go to the meeting. So first you're going to have a meeting to go to, <laughs> then you're going to have to work, you know, you got to find the templates for the architectural decisions. Then you're going to like, you've got basically like four months of meetings. So you're only left with like eight <laughs> months. And then in the States, you've got Thanksgiving, December's out, right? So, yeah. that, so you take away like November is only a three week, three working week month. And then you're going to have some people out for like, you know, spring break. Golden That's break another week. And, and yeah. Yeah, and no one, and, oh, no, yeah. only only salespeople do stuff in December. No one else does work in December, <laughs> right? And, and and then those Australians, they're gone for January. So basically, what we're talking about is migrating a lot of applications in what did we get down to nine months, right? And that nine months also is inclusive of learning what the fuck you're doing, right? So like, and failing at it and having to relearn, and then you're going to have us vendors come in and try to pitch you some ideas too. So yeah. like. Like, I mean, that is like a little my, ambitious that my, you're going to migrate my, yeah. that many things. My That was, that definitely jumped out at me when I read this. Uh, you know, my, my response to that is, it's good to want things. <laughs> now, <laughs> well, now that's, that's exactly to, what I thought too. I mean, and first of all, uh, everybody that responded to that survey should email me directly. I'd be happy to help you with all your applications. I'm like, uh, 100%. Uh, but like, you know, it, there's, there's only two answers. Either first it's, uh, small just small companies with very few applications or, right which is totally just, legit it just um it's just aspirational i mean it's nothing wrong with and yeah, especially yeah. if you haven't embarked on any we type of migration make plans if you've yeah. not started anything um and you haven't done it and maybe your executives and other people are telling you you should yeah you should say like yeah this is a real aggressive goal let's do it all next year but like the reality is any organization of significant size i mean it's going to take much much longer and really it's more about like i think the way a better question a follow-up question would be how many of these companies have sort of a dedicated team partner Mm. or whoever already like working on doing their application migrations like because that's what you're going to need i mean it's like running up like to me it's like that just says if i was going to do everything in a year it's like okay you're standing up a whole team you know you've allocated a significant amount of budgets and you've already hired them. You, yeah, you've done your discovery <laughs> of all the applications. You know where your which landing zones you've chosen. You know which technology you want. And now you've just kind of you're you're operating. Let's say you know fifteen or twenty agile sprint teams all working in parallel. 
you know, and pretty with pretty significant backlogs and, you know, you're just cranking them out. Like, I'm not saying no one. I mean, I've, I've seen a few organizations at that level, but uh, you, you know, that's far and away very unusual. That's not the norm at all. Yeah. And, and, and to be, to be, to be fair to the write-up, uh, um, not fair to it, but they do mention that there, there's a little, a slight amount of consternating that the write-up does. And they're sort of like, Hmm, these might include uh, apps that were already being worked on, right? And, and you know, so there might have been a bunch sure. of them that were multi. Fine. But anyway, I even yeah. grant them that. I'd be like, fine, take those. But you're yeah, doing yeah, everything yeah. else. It's like, show sure. sure. I mean, yeah. but that's, call, that's... Back, call back to our last week. I mean, you know, our uh, AWS, right? I mean, they, they, they said the same thing. 90, what, only 2 to 5% of, of uh, applications are in the cloud. So 95%, I mean, that's just what AWS says. And that's probably, you know, has some, some validity to it. So it's not like... Yeah, I mean, yeah. we know next year, I mean, <laughs> just a matter, we would all, I mean, I can't tell you how happy we would all be if Adam uh, Slepsky gets up next year and is like, turns out we migrated as an industry 50% of all the workloads <laughs> to cloud. We, I mean, there, there wouldn't be enough rooms in Vegas for people having, I mean, the excitement <laughs> would be incredible. Everyone's had a great year. VMware's had a great year. Matt Ray's startup got bought. You know, everybody in the world had a great year of that that happens. I mean, because there's so much work. But unfortunately, we know that's not going to happen. You we know, know that unrealistic. At that rate, you know, we could just shut down all the on-premises stuff in about five or six years. Yeah, we'd be done. We'd be like, I mean, and we, and just think of all of the stuff. But that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. So. Yeah, that that leads that leads to my the way I've filed this this survey away, which again I think is a great survey. You should go check it out. It's 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 a it's a good one. Now, some of the ways that they represent the the visuals, I have some quibbles with, but like you know, whatever. I'm not going to tell someone how to cut their mustache. Like they can <laughs> they can do what they want, but. Uh, I think I think the conclusion that I pull away one is that like uh, you know people use everything or multi cloud as people like to say yeah it's a totally thing. fine and then two I think there is this and and I feel like I feel like the 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 AWS people especially sort of like gave this thinking out this year and last year or whatever but like there's another chart that's like cloud technology use and again brilliantly. I've been over here on the other side of the Atlantic too long if I'm saying brilliantly. Uh, but like they, there's a chart of like, uh, you know, they include traditional managed on-premise infrastructure. And if you look at that and our whole thing about modernizing stuff, there's still a huge amount of on-premise infrastructure and people planning. I mean, I guess if people are planning on moving 50% of their stuff, that means they haven't moved 50% of their stuff, so to speak. I mean, so there's a lot of stuff yet to be uh, migrated and uh, there's plenty of things that uh, not only need to be moved, but that uh, can be modernized or not. Like stuff running in quote unquote cloud is still a uh, small percentage of stuff, which, you know, I'm fond of this figure. Hopefully they'll update it soon. But, you know, I tracked down a couple of Gartner press releases and their estimate was that uh, at the moment, more or less, there's basically about, I don't know, eight to 10 percent of workloads globally that run in Kubernetes. Right. Which is very small. Growth rates are huge. But like it gives you a sense of timing and what's out there and available to do, and also a little bit of just like uh, I don't know. It helps you direct your strategic uh, time and uh, spending and stuff. So uh, check out those charts. Put them in your meeting. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash STT. That's cbtnuggets.com slash STT. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. Start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash STT. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Do we have any bureaucracy this episode, Brandon? Uh, we do. We have a little bit of bureaucracy. I did send some stickers to... Um, 
I'm going to do my best to pronounce the name here. It's uh, Kashiti in uh, India. And then I sent some stickers to uh, Pete and his team in Ontario. Always happy to send stickers to anyone, including a team. Uh, just tell me how many you want and send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you stickers anywhere in the world. Also, it's uh, end of year, so we're required as a podcast to do like an end of year episode. And one of the things we always do there is answer uh, listener questions. So if you have any questions you want us to, uh, to answer, just send it to questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Put them in the Slack. We've got a whole channel for it. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. And uh, generally, I would say we read every single question for sure. I don't know. And I would say there's a very high likelihood if you send a question in, and it's uh, remotely, you know, appropriate, shall we say, uh, we'll probably answer it. And then finally, I just wanted to say congratulations to HashiCorp, because we don't really talk about them, but their IPO looked like it was successful. I'm reading here, they raised $1.2 billion. So that's good. I think all of us have some friends there. So uh, maybe in 90 days after the lockup, you should make them take you to lunch or something like that and spread some of their wealth. And also wanted to uh, congratulate CloudBees, Looks like they had uh, raised a bunch of money. You can go watch their CEO give a, ve- a fine presentation in a nice jacket. It looks very official about the future of Cloud B. So they just raised a bunch of money. I think they're officially over the $1 billion mark in their market capitalization. So congratulations to all those people. Hope uh, Hopefully everything will go well and hopefully everyone else's companies do as well as they have. You know, one of the best ways to raise awareness is through podcast sponsorships. I think I, I would tell those, <laughs> those two organizations. And, it's a key uh, to know, any DevRel operation. Whenever, hey, I'll just know. say, CloudBees, been a sponsor, now $1 billion. So late, just going to let yeah. everyone else, everyone else can do their do the awareness tracking of on their own. But that did happen. Factually correct. D- Datadog, they, they sponsored. Factually uh-huh. correct. Now worth $60 billion. I don't know. You know, who knows what, what made that <laughs> successful? We, you, you can't track awareness. That's, that's Can't track the, awareness, but I know they were sponsors here. I'm just saying. That's all so, we're saying. So there's also, uh, just briefly, uh, as we've been mentioned, there's that conference coming up uh, over there in Round Rock, January 17th to 20th. We actually have, we'll be doing a live recording there. We have several discount tickets for the everything ticket, the three-day one, or the virtual tickets. And you can get, uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 333, uh, you can find the discount codes to get 75 or $50 off, depending what you do there. That's uh That'll buy you a, a lunch and a dinner in Texas. Nice. Uh, pl- plenty of money. And also, the call for speakers for DevOps Days Chicago is open and DevOps Days Birmingham. Uh, y'all should check that out. Those CFPs close in January. I might could go look at them. those. I started thinking about Alabama and Texas, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm talking like a, like a Southern person. Anyhow. Kelly? <laughs> so, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some fun conferences. Now, with that, Matt Ray, yes. what do you have to recommend this week? Uh, my recommendation is the Lens desktop app for Kubernetes. This is, uh, if, if I, I've been working on uh, deploying some Kubernetes in my home lab, and uh, I use the, the Kubernetes dashboard, very fine open source project. Uh, but the, the Lens desktop is a, a desktop application from the fine folks at Mirantis, and uh, it's also open source. So it's just another nice way of looking at your Kubernetes cluster. I liked it. I thought, you know, hey, other people should check this out if you haven't seen it. Another nice way of looking at your Kubernetes cluster. They should they should put that on their uh, as their tagline. That would work out well. <laughs> how like about it. your How about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Well, uh, this week's question comes from uh, uh, Matt Iglesias. I'm sure he listens to this podcast, but he put this out on Twitter. He says, "Does anyone have a home printer that works that doesn't just break?" And I was like, "Absolutely." Absolutely, I do. I've got my, uh, they don't even make mine anymore, but I got the updated one. The Brother Compact Monochrome Laser Printer. Yes, I think everybody should have a black and white laser printer in their house. Mine has been a tank. I think we're going on 10 plus years. You know, I replace, it's a little bit more expensive when you buy it, but well worth it. Mm -hmm. Inkjet of any kind. Immediately just go to your inkjet printer, take it out. Right and throw it right in a trash can. Oh, get your garbo how, how person. How else are you gonna get a scanner? And, and just get get rid of it. I got that too. I got the combo laser screen. But that one I have. I have separate. I, I this is a whole nother subject. Like I believe you should have a separate scanner because because paying They're for so a separate expensive. scanner is worth it so much. Oh, it's so worth it. But anyway, anyway let's just come I, I back the to. Same I have the same printer. I'm gonna double working? up on your recommendation. Yeah, I mean this thing's a tank. You can't break it. So so I'm sure Matt Matthew Iglesias. Yes. I know he listens yes, to can. this <laughs> podcast. 
I know he does. Uh, in fact, I was doing. I just I was uh, uh, had to do a, a quite uh, a quick uh, replacement of the ink cartridge, and I thought to myself, "Oh, this is, uh, this is or toner cartridge rather." So that's like, and I thought, yeah, that's the key thing. So I thought, like, for Matthew Iglesias, who's listening, yes, the brother compact monochrome laser printer. That's what you want. So everyone should get one. Seconders. Yeah, I I have the HP Color LaserJet M two five four DW. Which, that sounds uh, like an inkjet printer to me. No, 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 no. Oh, it's a laser. 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 Okay, yeah. you say yeah. okay, yeah. I don't inkjet. know why they say. I don't know why they put jet in there. That makes. Uh, I, maybe at some point when laser jets were around, they felt like they had to put that in there. But I feel like it damages the name. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't. I don't no, want. I, no. I don't want my printer to have the word jet in it. Yeah. Like no. I just never. Only never. Lasers. Anything with jet, inkjet, ink, anything. No, 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 just, no good. Go. But boy, I love that. I love that laser printer. And and it, and you know, it always says the toner's low. It's just senile. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. know. It's fine. <laughs> well, my recommendation this week. So, you know, we usually do uh, this year. We've done, I don't know, 12, 14. I've lost count. Executive roundtables online where we send wine to people. And we have a sommelier, this great guy, Marcus. I, I, I would recommend him. But uh, he is fantastic. And then, and then, you know, we do a little discussion about transformation. But at the end of the year, this week, we did two events with new people and people we'd invited. And we had Marcus back. And uh, we asked him to go over uh, three types of gingerbread from the German-speaking countries. That is uh, Germany. They speak German there. Uh, and, uh, and Switzerland. They speak German in addition to some other languages. And Austria. And it turns out there are actually like three different types of gingerbread across these countries that are very distinct. Now, my family and I ate a lot of them, but I have one left. It's the... the I, I'm not going to pronounce it, but the the Basler gingerbread that they make in Basel, as you can imagine, and it, it's a little bit dry of a gingerbread, but it's very fancy. So uh, I don't really know how to pronounce this, but Basler Lackerly. Anyone who's like Swiss is probably laughing at me, but you can go there, and it's a very uh, it's it's a great little gingerbread. There's a there's a, the other one from Nuremberg. The Nuremberg one is actually the one that I would recommend the most. So look up Nuremberg gingerbread. And uh, you should get some of that. It's delicious. Um, and I was here's a little tip from Marcus. If you have your gingerbread and it's gotten dried out, what you can do is you can put it in a bag with some sliced up apples, and overnight or in a few hours, it'll moisten it for you, uh, which I think is a uh, that way you can moisten your dry breads with apples. I don't know if you eat the apples afterwards. I, I couldn't say. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 333. We've got a great Slack channel where you, we uh, keep track of links we're going to talk about during the week, talk about all sorts of other things as well. You can add the uh, questions that we'll have in that episode. But if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find the link to Slack uh, to join and sign up for it. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. I, I have a meeting <laughs> scheduled uh, that I'm going to push back a little. But Oh, is this the one that you have this scheduled every week? Yes. Maybe we should just invite that person on towards the end of the podcast. <laughs> at the end, at the very end, they can do a recommendation. All right. Uh, we'll put the we'll put the kidnapper voice filter on them so they can be anonymous. <laughs>